Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is the final day of summer. It feels more like fall. It's rainy outside. Comic-Con is happening. <laughs> And the political sky <laughs> continues to fall. And we are here to talk about it with Mara Carabello from the Ixoro Group. Greg Hughes is taking a break from us in Pittsburgh watching some Steelers games. And the illustrious Mike Schultz, who is the majority leader, not the minority leader, some people like to call him, also running for a new position here to join us today. Thanks. Yes, thank you. We're excited to be here. Now we now Mara and I know why there was a chicken walking down the road. That earlier. is so true. We did yeah. see a chicken walking down the road. Yeah. What it was. I know. I was a on a two-legged, large, like six-foot <laughs> chicken. I should so be clear. So it's fun because it's different it than two-legged. Two I realized when I was saying that. That's why I added the six feet. <laughs> there so might be some chickens. <laughs> but yes, you always forget when it's coming. I kind of knew Comic-Con was coming because it's always a month before you expect mm-hmm. to see costumes yeah. downtown. Mm-hmm. And I got on tracks and there was a guy who had a bunch of weird anime characters all over his shirt. I'm like, okay, that's weird. Do you? And then the weirdness <laughs> kept getting on with each stop, and then my brain finally figured it out. So if you want some good people watching, come down. And the state fair's done. This is where you come. Yeah, so, and the state fair was great this year. Did you ride the rides? What'd you no, do? I Check didn't. out the hogs. No, just the the uh, agriculture stuff. Did you get no. any blue ribbons at your house? No, I did not. No, we didn't do that. Oh, okay, so, mid any baked goods. No, I didn't do that. You're either. a quilter. You're really no, focused I, on no, the quilting? No, no, no. I just like going and participating and being there, seeing that. You know, the stuff. ag and the homemade shops buildings, they're cool, and everybody skips them, and, and, you know and they're so cool. I was on the state fair board for a I, number of years mm. until Representative Schultz kicked oh me gosh. off. I competed in 4-H um, back in the day and got blue ribbons, and that dollar was like a lot of money back yeah. then when you would win. 75 cents for a red ribbon, second place. You, you know what I noticed? Mm. How awesome the state fairgrounds are. Right now. Looking good. They're they good. Do. They've done a fantastic job. Uh, I'm with get you closer to there we go. Is that better? Yeah. Here's yeah. a secret. Mike Schultz does not like to wear the earmuffs like the rest of us. We can hear. Do you yeah. realize so how he funny can't you tell all look with headphones on? I know. But we know how loud we are. Yeah. Cowboys do cowboy things. Okay, so we have so much to talk about. Last week without you, uh, I was talking about Senator Mitt Romney, who's finally decided uh, to make a decision. He is not going to run for a second term, and all of a sudden, just like with the special election, we start hearing who's going to run, who's not going to run, because an open seat changes things. We knew it was possible. Trent Staggs, Mayor of Riverton, was already in. Brad Wilson, for all intents and purposes, is in, in my mind. He's officially announcing next week. And then we started hearing the possibilities of maybe Robert O'Brien or Tim Ballard, Jason Chaffetz, whose name's always out there. Uh, Tim Ballard, though, all of a sudden, weirdness exploded with that. And we're hearing uh, that there could be problems within his organization, accusations of sexual assault. And all of a sudden, is like, is someone after him because he's running for office? Was this going to come out? What are you guys hearing on the streets? What's happening? 
You're smiling. Do you want me to start? Yeah, you go, Mike Schultz. Well, I do think it's really weird and interesting, and there's definitely a lot of smoke around that issue on multiple fronts. Like, I mean, you look at it, and there's a lot of accusations coming from a lot of different areas and different organizations. And so I think there's more there than just uh, somebody trying to go after him for political purposes. So what, I, you're the kind of guy that says if there's smoke, there's probably fire somewhere? When it's coming out directly from the church, when there's other investigations going on, when he's no longer with the organization, there's all those things add up. And those are all things, that, except for the, the church uh, coming out with a statement, but those are all things that happened way before uh, uh, the, the announcement. And so um, I think there's probably more there to the story uh, than what he is letting on to. And, it, and if you watch some of his recent media interactions and some of the things he's posted and some of the videos out there of him. It's very interesting um, and very suspicious in my opinion. I can't remember a time when the church officially, you know, not sort of us rumoring and and saying I've heard the church, really made that big of a statement about a non-religious issue, right? They've they've taken after people who they felt like were misrepresenting a religious point of view, or they actually have taken after some members before that but they didn't feel. But usually they're private meetings, and there's yeah. like, let's say, excommunications that that person chooses yeah. to make public. They don't usually just find a member or someone yeah. and then just say, throw hey. them to the dogs. And they talked about his character which is the purview of a church right like it's it's for them to say we sort of don't trust his character what was intriguing about it too is so that seemed to me unprecedented why did they do it do you think I think they must have felt incredibly strongly like they don't take that position and and they never take it the church is so skilled at informal positions and this was a formal position but then what even made that whole scenario weirder is that he refuted it. Yeah. I was like, what? This is crazy. He sort of pushed back and said, that's not true. I have, a, I have, this, I have a great relationship with the church. And I'm like, well, they're letterhead. Is he so, still running? Or do you think if he was running, You know what's interesting? He hasn't it? eliminated it. So I guess he, he could potentially test the boundaries that any news is good news. But you got to say in the state of Utah, this yeah. is a deal killer for I, a U.S. Senate race. I, I think so. I've got some close friends that, that have been close to uh, Tim over the years. And their assessment of it is, and they know probably more than anybody else, that what Tim was doing with Operation Underground Railroad was really started out with good intentions and at first really had a lot of good intentions and did a lot of good things. It's an important issue. It is. And then as it started to grow, more opportunities came and things kind of went off the rails at that point in time. And so I believe he probably decides to stay out of it um, because if he was to jump into the race, I think really what ultimately happened right now, we're all just speculating around what happened, but you'll see more and more people come forward with actual knowledge to the uh, uh, situation. And um, so I think he stays out of it for those yeah. reasons. It's also really hard to fundraise yes. outside of a scandal. So there's who hates scandals are people who are donors. Yeah. And so it, this will hinder yeah. fundraising and fundraising is 
the answer to a lot of political campaign questions. Do you believe he was running from at least from what you guys are hearing in your political circles that that was the plan? Because Sean Reyes said he was going to back someone. When I think, who would Sean Reyes back? That's who my brain thought. Yeah, and he had kept his name floated, which isn't a bad idea for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad idea for business people. It's not a bad idea for, I'm always amazed when people take their name out of the the ring too soon because I'm like, hey, it never hurts you to be considered the kind of person. So I think... Uh, multiple sur- sources had also, um, namely of which I thought Sean Reyes's tease was particularly leaning yeah. towards him. And the success of a recent movie, all that showed yeah, some momentum. I, I, I think he was definitely, and I don't have any inside information on that, but I think he definitely was looking to get in it and was likely to announce until that all broke. So do you guys have any other insight into who might be sitting on the sidelines? Everyone talks about whether Congressman Chaffetz is done or not, former congressman, I should say. Uh, he's come out and said, you know, I'm not completely taking myself out, but I think he really is looking for uh, the gubernatorial race, not in 2024, but possibly 2028. Mara, what do you hear on the ground? That's what everybody says. And that's what he's pretty much telecast. I mean, again, he's seasoned enough to never totally take himself mm-hmm. out. But then if you look at the other cues he gave during that interview, I'm happy at Fox. I like where I am. I would look for, I'm more, yes, I know federal issues, but hey, I've done my stint on a cot in D.C. And I think he really handled well the issue of keep me in the ring. He also directly took on the issue of whether he would take on Spencer Cox in 24. And he all but said no. So he, he, I think... The rumor is, and what it seems like he's telling close people, is that he is interested in running again. He's young, um, and for sure he wants to be in the mix. Um, And he's formidable with delegates, which always makes him interesting in a Republican primary. And he's been uh, at Fox in D.C. for long enough that he can raise money in in a pretty quick fashion. But I think he indicated he wasn't in for this cycle for U.S. Senate, and I think he was clearly saying, I'm not going to challenge Cox, although I think he left governor on the table for 24, well, 28, 28. I don't think he wins uh, in 2024, and I think he realized that Cox was going to be tough to beat. He is very well liked uh, across the state. He's done a great job, and uh, I think Jason uh, is smart enough uh, to recognize that and look to 2028 his best option if he does decide to get in, and so he He'd be tough to beat. He'd be the front runner on that race. On the 28 race. On the 28 race. I think he would give Cox a run for his money in 24. But he took that off the table. So. Well, Interesting. I, it's risky, right? I mean, oh, yeah. That, that it, he'd give him a run for his money, absolutely. But it's too risky. It's, yeah. I think Cox ultimately wins. they both wins. end up broken in the end. Yeah, well, and, and uh, Chaffetz says, well, he's not unhappy. Like, yeah. So there's yeah. not a lot of catalyst for him to yeah, change it's, it's, right now. It's too risky for him to jump yeah. in. At the, yeah. The, if I'm Jason, I'm going to wait for a better opportunity. 2028 is clearly that opportunity, not 2024. I saw a tweet from you that seems like you've already picked your horse in this race. You're backing Brad Wilson? Oh, yes. Speaker yes. Wilson, absolutely. He's been a good, close friend for a long time. I've had the opportunity to serve with him for almost 10 years uh, in the House. I've served uh, under him in a leadership position uh, in uh, for for the last five years. He is a remarkable leader. He's solid conservative. I mean, if you look at the record, uh, the, the, to the conservative record that uh, over the last couple of years, and Look at all the accolades 
that we've received from uh, as a state. We are a very well-ran state, and a lot of that has to do with uh, Brad Wilson. And so he would definitely be the best person in that uh, Senate race. At the, at the risk of hurting his reputation, I also like Brad Wilson. <laughs> I think, I mean, he is, I've always appreciated about him that he seems to be about the no-nonsense business. He's not one that spends a ton of time on the noise of politics. He seems to just want to get the job done. I'll also say, like, he's, he's got a, a, a stable family. I don't I don't want to – I don't like the rhetoric that a family makes you no. a better person or more interesting, but I do like when people like their close – whether it's a chosen family or a family that you married into, I like when people – like those closest to them. And, that is and, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I, I just want to say one other thing. He is self-made. That guy has ran multiple successful businesses and done very well. He's ran the state, been one of the top state leaders for a lot in, a, a long time. The state's been, uh, is, is really well ran. And we need leaders like that in Washington, especially right now. If you look at what's going on right back there right now, it is so sad. And we need people like that, that have a, that come from Utah that have a good, solid, conservative voice but are able to kind of work together to find ways forward, and Brad's that guy. So the filing period is a few months away still. What I'm finding Jan- interesting... Is it January? The- yeah. yeah. And what I'm finding interesting about this race is... Speakers don't have huge successes going on to their next race, but you have someone who started early who's bundled, if I'm right, more money at this point than anyone else. Like he out-fundraised Romney or something. Maybe he's got a million and then put a million of his own in. Yeah, that's right. But sitting in cash on hand right now, I think he's shown more prowess than maybe maybe even the Bennett race did back in the day. I wish I had a million of my own to stick in. To stick in. (laughs) And then the question is, who else jumps in, right? Um, There's going to be others, right? The Roosevelt mayor just jumped in. Right, he did. I can't remember his name, but... Yeah, Is Mayor Roosevelt. Is it maybe Bird? I don't remember his name. I missed that. Now I've got to Google. Yeah, okay. yeah, he, yeah, just he did. In this and week. He, and um, a couple of business leaders are thinking about it. I think it's always a harder run for business than they think it is yeah. going to be. Yeah. Even those who can self finance, I think they they well. I've always had a bias. Government shouldn't be run like a business because it isn't a business. But business principles sometimes help government See, run I think better. Government should be ran exactly like a business. You a don't successful. You, you don't. <laughs> Majority leader Schultz, you don't run government like a business. We try to. We'd be better off you if we don't. did. Is it Mayor no. J.R. Bird? Is that Bird. his name? I believe his go. last name's Bird. Okay. Yes, well, congratulations it. on getting in the race. Speaking of races, I understand <laughs> that you are going to be. Uh, running to fill the shoes of Speaker Brad Wilson as he leaves. Do you have competition, or have you already been <laughs> crowned by your fellow friends in the legislature, the no, man to beat? No, there is no hierarchy. I mean, you have to be, you have to, it's a vote of, of the body. And uh, no, I do. There's uh, Representative Melissa Garf Ballard, who has also decided to run. And so that election will happen um, uh, middle of November. And uh, at the same time, uh, Speaker Wilson steps down, uh, the body will elect their next speaker. What do you have to offer the state of Utah <laughs> if, you, if you get a chance to sell yourself yeah. here? Well, look, I, I really try to focus on bringing people together. I, we have 75 amazing colleagues. And, and, and that's one thing that I've, despite what the media says, honestly, 
the Media, people they're such jerks, they're jerks. Such good we really do have good people that run uh for public office in the state of utah and so we have 75 amazing colleagues and trying to work to find the balances to bring all of us together uh, on the most important issues of the day and then also to couple that with the 29 members of the senate and then the governor um, that's my that would be my biggest focus is uh, what's important to the members and how do we bring those issues forward uh, to, to make a difference for the state of Utah. All right. We're going to be watching your race closely. <laughs> There's also three races, interestingly enough, going on uh, for replacement seats in the House. And one of them that's interesting that I just wanted to mention real quick. There's six candidates in the District 22 race to pl- replace Andreg. And Emily Lockhart, daughter of former Utah House Speaker Becky Lockhart, is hoping to follow in her mom's footsteps and get in. A lot of other names. I always love seeing that there's a lot of people with interest and wanting to be a part of this. That's a good sign, right, Mara? Really good sign. There's also another Quinn seat is open as well. The mm-hmm. only reason I'm bringing this up is one of the things that is most worthwhile to tell people to participate in if they can is these these special elections because, man, and rightly so, usually this is elected by 50, 40, 60 people sometimes in a senate race it's 80 but it's because of how we structure our system and you have to be a delegate but remember both parties um have delegate slots open and you can speak to your party about being slotted as a delegate and often in these special elections even all the people who could vote don't vote and i mean you really are choosing most of the time that person gets reelected. so if you live in either quinn seat or andrick's seat Find yourself a delegate. How, how exciting is it, though? I mean, we got four people, good candidates in uh, Quinn's seat, uh, Representative Quinn's seat in Salt Lake County. And then uh, I, I, there's six candidates now, but I'm told there's a couple more that's going to jump in. So I bet you there's somewhere around eight to ten candidates in that race. And remember, Quinn's seat is a swing seat. Yes. So it will also probably have a pretty robust reelect. All oh, right. absolutely. Yeah since the Republicans yep. stole yep. it. And I hope that the stole delegates it. take that into consideration, uh, that uh, they put forward somebody that can win that, that seat in the general election next go-around. Well, coming up, uh, we haven't talked a ton about it, but the Salt Lake City Municipal Race will be coming up in November. And we have uh, this week former Salt Lake City Mayor Ralph Becker endorsing Aaron Mendenhall for mayor. Is that a surprise or is this something expected? Because we've got Rocky Anderson, former mayor, on the other side. So all the mayors are putting their fingers in this race. I don't think it's unexpected. Uh, they did a good job with the announcement in that it got a round of press. Like, they, they didn't bury it. Sometimes people have these endorsements, and, and you don't hear about them, and it's because technically they didn't do a good job pushing out. So they did a good job pushing out. Endorsements are interesting because they matter and they don't at the exact same time, right? Uh, we all get them. When we work on campaigns, we tell campaigns they need them. Third-party validation seems to matter a great deal. The studies that we've seen and the work we've done, um, it's not so much other elected officials, it's peers and neighbors. Mm. So that's why, like, if I'm if yeah. I'm just speaking among friends, like, you pick your neighborhood and you want the best-known person and the neighbor to have your yard sign up because people say, oh, if Heidi Hatch, which I know you all don't you do because of the media, but like, oh, if the Hatch is like that person, I do. Yeah. So it is true idea. that third-party validators, someone else that you trust, their opinion, um, it's a little tempered 
we have seen in research when the uh, endorser is another elected official because we're a little cynical about the elected mm-hmm. officials. All right. Well, we're, we'll keep watching it, and I'm still keeping an Are eye. Are you watching the Salt Lake Mayor's race, Mr. Schultz? Uh, I, well, of course, I have to watch it. and so <laughs> You work a lot with this position. We do. We work a lot in that position. Uh, you, know, I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, I think Mayor Mendenhall is going to be tough to beat, in my opinion. Um, she's super nice. If you watch her, she's very polished. Very charismatic. Uh, very yeah. charismatic. I mean, I mean, it's hard to not... Uh, have a conversation uh, with Mayor Mendenhall and, uh, you know, and, and like her. And, you know, and, and that's even coming from me, a conservative Republican who fights with who her most. Like of, who who fights <laughs> mo- Who fights with Mayor Mendenhall more than we get along. But, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that we're always willing to have strong disagreements, uh, but be civil afterwards. Who Have you had a mayor that you fought with? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I've had a lot of mayors I fought no, with. No, like Salt Lake City mayors? That you didn't get along with? You know, well, Mayor Mendenhall's all that I know. Well, no, okay. I take that back. Ralph Becker. Um, I, I did work with Ralph Becker, but I was just a freshman, a young, coming in. You didn't I, know I, enough to Salt Lake to fight City Mayor it. didn't care about me at that point in time, right. and I didn't care about the Salt Lake City Mayor. <laughs> but now as you, you move up and you get into leadership, you have to fight more with the Salt Lake Mayor, and so that's the position we've been put in. It's like part of the Republican it's part of the, oath? It's part, well, if Salt Lake City would just be more on the ball, then we wouldn't have to fight with them as much. Wow. Mm. It is our mm. capital city, and the homeless issue that keeps plaguing us yeah. is something that has to be talked about. There was a homeless stabbing just a block from the KUTV studios last night. I went outside, and I'm like, oh, there's all the flashing lights, and walked down there because there's homeless encampments all along Main Street now. So the problem is spreading. So we'll talk more about that another week. I do have a bone to pick uh, with Mr. Schultz here. Oh boy. The Utah taxpayers um, apparently are paying above the national average in taxes. Utahns pay 2.4% more of their personal income in total taxes, according to this uh, new workup, than the average U.S. taxpayer. They're now calling on state lawmakers to make Utah a more tax-friendly state for residents and businesses. I feel like we're told often that we're one of the states that pays less than everybody else, and we're not getting taxed very much. And then when I see this, I'm like, I've been lied to. So, well, a couple things. First off, I agree. We do pay too much in taxes, and we've really worked hard on that over the last three years. Uh, We've cut over a billion dollars in in tax cuts over the last three years, and we want to continue that trend. Now, who knows what happens with the economy, but there is a reason why, and it's very unfortunate. But 60 to 70% of the the property in the state is owned by the federal government, and so we can't collect property taxes off of that. And so when you take 60 to 70% of the property out of the mix, then there's, you know, I mean, that, that is a huge disadvantage to other states who are 80, 90, almost 100% privately owned and, uh, and that, that pay taxes on that. So what that does is that puts a larger burden on the people that own taxes and it doesn't spread the base out. One of the key principles to good sound tax policies is broaden the base, lower the rate. Well, we can't broaden that base because the federal government owns so much land in the state of Utah. Okay, so under that theory, uh, you also must be really ticked off at all the nonprofits who don't pay their share either because we have a disproportionately high amount of nonprofits who sit in the same position as the federal government. So, right, you're mad at the... LDS Church, you're mad at the federal government, but that doesn't necessarily indicate the distribution because this wasn't, this was a percentage by per cap. So I don't, I don't think that the feds, 
not giving the great state of Utah back the land that the feds own the whole time. I think one of the things that's really interesting is we do use a lot of local option here. And I think that's... What a, does that mean for people And I, I think this is kind of nice um, that counties actually have a pretty robust system of levying some property taxes. We have some special service districts who can do that. I don't think that's a bad thing because I do think it reinforces what Mike is saying, which is low and flat. So I, I don't mind, and, and school districts can levy property taxes. I don't think it's a bad when not a, not many, but when a handful of people beyond the state legislature can lobby these taxes isn't bad because it really hyper-localizes the expenditures of those. The other thing that's interesting is I think we're going to start seeing some worse than average numbers from us because we're hitting this perfect storm of high housing prices, a slightly lower than average wages, um, a, a, a sl- inflation um, and this influx of people who have more disposable income. And I know one of the things that I think lawmakers are talking a lot about, and I'm glad that they are, is they, there was this a presentation recently that many will see, and Mike, you're going to have to help me with it, that Gard- St. Kempsey Gardner put out, and I think it's called the New Utah. And what it really does is point out that when you took a snapshot of who we were five years ago, yeah. We're changing, and I think the, ch- the change is good, and it's healthy, and we're keeping up. So where I think this is maybe a little unfair is that it's just hit this moment where we are really changing a bit from yeah. what we have seen ourselves for years and years and years. I don't think we're losing who yeah. we are, but we are changing. Yeah, we are shifting, and that, that, that study did come out, and it did show that Utah has transitioned from a small state to a medium-sized state. And we're seeing it. We're feeling it. Affordable housing to some challenges with a housing. Yeah. A robust, really robust, diverse economy. Uh, some good stuff. You just mentioned a pro, or sorry, a con and a pro. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, 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 the downside to that is our housing costs have went up significantly. The positive side to that, we are one of the most diverse economies in the nation, meaning if we do and when we do enter into a recession, Utah will weather that recession very well, because, and we've seen it happen because we are such a diverse economy. We are not dependent on one or two uh, industries in the Which state. Which is a huge change. It's, in it's huge. I mean, that, that is one great positive thing. But I have to come back to something you said on the nonprofits. you got to remember and take into account a lot of these nonprofits do so much good for the state of Utah and, and so do actually, parks. So do the actually parks. put back in more money than what uh, the, than, than, than what they would otherwise. No, with, I don't disagree with, with that. So you're not taxes. ready to tax the churches? Uh, no, no. I'm just ready. saying if you're complaining no. about non yeah. huge non-taxable but, entities. But, but the per capita thing doesn't have anything to do with the fact that we don't have the base that other states have. And that is not taken into this equation. If you put that into this equation, I think you would find Utah very well off. We're, we have already received very, uh, national accolades in regards to having the best state budget, that we are a AAA bond-rated state. We're like not just the AAA, but we're like the top tier of the AAA. Literally, we have more in reserves uh, and, and rainy day funds than almost any other state. And uh, we, we've got a lot of good national attention from them. But not enough that, to make more tax cuts that would be meaningful with how much is in the rainy day fund. Oh, yeah. I think we should do more tax cuts. We're going to look to do them. All right. Well, this next session. Uh, well, if the economy is there and holds up, gives us the opportunity to do it, we're going to do it. This All sounds right. like one of those stump speeches with lemonade and drinking <laughs> fountains right. if I'm elected. So. That's my speaker pitch, yeah. right? We're going to cut your taxes. Who, so do, who argues with that? Can we talk about... <laughs> 
Trump for a second. Oh, oh we're going to talk UAW here. I just want to talk. It's just interesting. Yeah. It's just Let's interesting. It. I'm not even a hater today. Uh, well, I'm a, I hate Trump still. So um, <laughs> it's been so interesting that UAW is in day six, I think, of their yeah. strike. Yeah. Some interesting things about this is they haven't approached it. There, there, there's a question about relevance of, of um, I think, relevance of unions in general. But these guys have been so smart this time. They've taken out a couple of things from the 30 playbook, the 1930s. In they want which a 40% they, pay increase. Yeah. But let me tell That's you why. Wild. You ridiculous. want to know where that mark was? That mark is what the C-suite gave themselves in the same time period. When I first heard it, I was like, where did you even get that number? Sean Fain, who's the president of UAW, has explained it all. He said, you know, we're only they only shut down a couple, and they did that because they wanted the negotiations to be earnest. So, okay, they weren't taking hostages. That was a really smart move that I haven't seen from unions in a while. He got criticized on the 40%, and he said, you want to know where I got that number from? That's what the executive suite has been giving themselves in the last couple of years. So if it is good enough for the executive suite, why isn't it good enough for the working person? This is the first time in a long time that I've seen a union strike actually punch through and talk to the average person. Usually I think we see unions. Now, whether you're predisposed to support unions or not, you kind of think of them as them, right? You're like, oh, that's what those people are doing. And I either support that or don't. I think this is every person they're talking to. They're talking about the wage gap. They're talking about haves and have nots. It's particularly relevant because during the recession, these workers five years ago bailed this this team out because of mismanagement. So it's real. It's not like from a long time ago. But here's one of the things that then makes this story more interesting to watch. I think Trump is reading the same thing, right? Trump is this weird anomaly in which he's been able to speak to a segment of what we would traditionally call blue-collar people. So you see the Trump team make these, and I mean, let's be clear, everyone knows I despise Trump. I have nothing good to say about him. But these are really smart moves. Like, you're watching this. He takes a trip to Detroit, and then he announces that instead of going to do the second presidential um, debate, which is scheduled for California, he's going to speak at Ronald Reagan Library to UAW. Now, we'll, that's yet to be determined if he pulls that off, right? Because it's Trump. But the fact that he did it, now, interestingly enough, unions, also... unions, if you don't recall, are usually pretty solidly held Democrat areas, right. but he definitely changed that now, in the last Biden election. Now, Biden is good friends with, I think it's Ford's guy, and he, the unions have been busting Biden's shop, even though Biden has been standing by him. They're a little bit like, great, you're standing by me, but what are you doing you're for fine. me lately, right? Yeah. So Sean Fain yesterday makes this epic move that says, Trump's a jerk, we don't like him. That's just the head. But whether Trump can speak to the rank and file is interesting. It's the first time I think he will be unsuccessful. But I do want to credit the strategists in the Trump campaign for, for the first time in the history I can think of, Republicans are made, well, Donald Trump, who is leading the Republican primary, is making a go yep. at rank and file blue collar, which has usually That's been sacrosanct. That's because the Republican Party is now the party for the rank and file. Yeah, I don't believe that at all. I just think happened. this is a super are, good move. You are seeing the Republic, Republicans get the rank and file worker more and more every day. And and, and, it's, and it is a credit to, to Donald Trump. He has no. brought that. That's how he won these swing district or sorry, swing states, is he went and talked directly to the workers in those no, states. No, he lost the election. I'm not giving no, that I'm all to a mic. I'm just saying it's an uh, interesting there was a lot of other reason why, A lot of other reasons why Donald Trump lost the election. But you come back to why did he win uh, in 2016 and it was because in these swing states he went and talked directly to the workers and said 
the Republican, the things the Republicans stand for and the things that I stand for are the issues you care about. And he won them, and it is clear that he brought the enough over that that's one, what won him in those so I, states. That's a bridge too far for me. I totally disagree. I think he said, I'm angry. <laughs> do you want to be Do you want to be angry with me? And I'm Look a jerk. Do you want to be a jerk? But like, I don't think that. Call but workers came I will over say, and that state as red. a call out to Democrats, not on this. I don't believe. I don't believe he's done anything earnest in his life. But I do think on this move, it is something both parties should watch because the Republicans aren't moving here. Donald Trump is moving here, and those are two entirely different beasts. And it's a really interesting case right now because I'm on one hand saying. A union is speaking to America better than I've heard them speak to America. And then I'm also saying, oh, interesting. Trump is finding a way to talk Go to this back. group, this, too. This is the 2016 playbook. This is how he won in 2016. And the same things happened. He got publicly criticized by the union leaders. And all the union members, not all, but the majority of the union members left their leadership and went and voted for Donald Trump. And that's what won him the 2016 election. And the weird thing is, is whether you love or hate um Trump, when you look at him, when he gets with the crowd and he talks to them, he, he could have like gold gilded yeah. seats or whatever, you know, toilet seat in his house. But somehow he can go talk to blue collar workers and average everyday people yes. and they feel like he's listening and he's talking to them. And that's a skill. That's a, that's a politician and that's how people win. Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting. It's been an interesting story it to watch over the past seven yeah. days. It'll be really interesting to see how it plays out over the next few days, right? I mean, when is it? The 26th, I think, is when? It's the um, is next the, debate. The debate, yeah. 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 I mean, so that, we got just a few days away. Yeah, we'll see well, how this plays out. I still think he's a chicken for not participating in the, in the debates. I, it's it's Bush I'm, League. But I'm frustrated just with, like I'm yeah. just speaking tactically, the guy's got a radar yeah. for yeah. opportunity. I would like Trump and Biden to both show up in debate, but I'm not in charge of the world. We have four <laughs> minutes left because uh, we have uh, time not on our hands today. I wanted to ask real quick, though, because you both went down to southern Utah for the interim session and meetings down there. Uh, you were down there... Uh, as a lobbyist, as a listener, a fly on the wall, and you were down there doing the state's business. So, what'd you guys see? It was it was a great time. We had uh, we had our interim session down there, which was really nice because we had all of our committee meetings down there. And first off, I just thought it was nice to get out of Salt Lake and get out into. I mean, Washington County isn't really rural, but it's right there, right? I mean, I had the house right next to the the, the open landscape and got a chance to go out and enjoy the 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 southern utah uh so that was nice we all really appreciate that but i thought what was really even better than that was the people that don't normally have the opportunity to come to salt lake uh and come to the committee committee hearings and see how uh the legislature operates have an opportunity to participate make comments in those uh, uh committee hearings i loved to see that play out and i know the people from washington county and the southern end of the state people were there from Panguitch, cedar city all across the southern end of the the, uh, the state, they really enjoyed it and they liked having us there. The other thing that was we we stayed an extra day there. Uh, a few years ago, we, we uh, uh, Speaker Brad Wilson passed a bill that that said we have to have as a legislature long term planning con- uh, uh, conference, and it is mandatory that us legislators attend this this uh, this meeting, and we. We, what we, we come together, we talk about the issues that's facing the state long term. I believe we're the only state 
that does it. And I think that's what makes Utah great because we're not playing whack-a-mole as these issues come up. We've thought about them. We've got a plan for them. We're working towards it. And so I think that's one of the things because we do have some big things on our table with water, with growth, and so many other things. And, and the transition that we talked about earlier earlier from being a small state to a mid-sized state and what that looks like. And so it's important for us to get ahead of the issues before they become bigger issues. Yeah, so I'll just applaud that as well because I was down actually for the long-term planning. I, I don't do much direct lobbying. Did but you I applaud was, the legislature? I applauded what you said, <laughs> which is approximate. <laughs> Not Sorry. quite there, though. Sorry. <laughs> so, I didn't go that far, Dangerously Mike. Dangerously close. <laughs> yeah, don't put words in to, my mouth. I had though. to check, make sure I heard that correctly. But this long-term planning is pretty cool. I mean, it's not an official session, right? It's not, you're not being called. And it really is for, for the legislatures, for legislators, to spend some grittier time talking about things we need to really think ahead and plan for. So that's where... I saw the Kempsey Gardner Institute talk about long-term planning. They do, I think you do a deep dive on the budget. I wasn't there for all of it. But the other shout-out I'm going to give to an organization I have no affiliation with is uh, Utah Tech really represented well. Like, one, their marketing team, uh, hats they off killed to it. you. Like, they're really good. Their logo's good. Their signage is good. Their, um, their president spoke well, like, well done, Utah Tech. I haven't been on that campus for a while. I've been to St. George, but I haven't been on the campus for a while. Look sharp. It was lively. They did a great job Utah hosting. Utah Tech was fantastic hosts. We couldn't have asked for better hosts. And it is complicated, and it was a lot of work, and we very much appreciate all the effort that went into that from Utah Tech. They did a great job. Awesome. Before I let you go, one national issue. Give me a quick thumbs up, thumbs down on this. But the Senate has now changed its dress code. Mm. And this has been driving me nuts. So I'll give my opinion on this. I hate it. I want you to have decorum. I want you to dress for the job. Are we okay with this, Mr. Schultz, that now you can wear your sweatsuits or your booty shorts or whatever you want to go vote? There needs to be some decorum. I'm not saying what the the previous dress code was accurate or should have been, but there needs to be some decorum. And uh, and this comes from somebody who would prefer to wear jeans on the so house floor every day. Wrangler's boots but, and a button-up would be fine uh, for and you? And a tie. I mean, you got to show, like, just the respect for the office. And I hope, even though that they changed their rules, I hope those senators still abide by have some sort of decorum and show that uh, Senate floor the respect that it deserves. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that maybe it needed updating, but no, it didn't need casualizing. Yeah. And, and and there's a difference. I mean, women don't wear... Like you what, can chill your shoulders if you want. Yeah, I don't think... I think the morality clauses and sort of the fashion statements needed to go away. They were old-fashioned and antiquated. I also say, really, this is what you're focusing on. If you're going to focus on decorum, let's start talking about being in the body to vote, talking to yeah. each other, and not yep. being such snarky trash. Stalkers. So, yeah. like, I was shocked that what they think needed changing yeah. about the discourse on the floor yeah. was their sweatpants. Mara their sweatpants. is spot on on this. <laughs> they have lost the art of debate and coming together and voting on the floor. That no longer happens. Right. It doesn't happen. Come to the Utah legislature. You'll see it happen on a daily basis. They don't know what that is in Washington. That's partly why it's so screwed up. Yeah, that drives me nuts, too. That's another bo soapbox I could get on. Yeah. I've been listening to committee hearings. And the person they bring in there to question never even gets to say Same a word thing. edgewise yeah. because they each just use up their time yeah. spewing whatever they want you to hear. What did you and think like, of the clothing? The uh, 
I don't love it. I just, we've gotten so casual. And this comes from someone who I've told myself recently, I need to step it up because I come into work at two in the afternoon. So I work out in the morning and sometimes I'll run errands in my exercise clothes. And I'm like, I probably should have more respect for myself and the people at Target (laughs) and get dressed nicer. But I also feel like there's a reason why we dress the way we do when we do the news or when you go to do business with someone because it shows respect for what you're doing and what it means for other people's lives, especially when you're legislating and voting on things yeah. that, you know, change people's worlds. So yeah. I don't know. Grow up. Put your big boy pants on or skirt or whatever. We you're all agree wear. on something. Yes. yes. And that's how we'll leave it here. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us for this week. We will talk yeah. at you next week.